A young girl abandoned at a tender age finds a way to survive in the marsh near Barkley Cove, North Carolina. She grows up to be a beautiful woman and is accused of murder. Oh, no. Her name is Kaya. The book is Where the Crawdads Sing. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Hey, you Welcome are. to our first episode ever Woo! of Lit Society. Yeah. yeah. Great. It's going to be called our inaugural uh-huh. episode. In the newspaper where it's going to be published. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. 2020. Yes. We'll talk about us later tonight. Check your local list. Right, right. Or we'll be trending. Yeah. On oh, social media. This is right? definitely what's trending right now on uh-huh. Twitter. Absolutely. Hashtag Lit Society Pod. Get into it. Yeah, Get into it. For so, sure. How are you this week? You know, I'm good. I was really looking forward to just sitting down with you and talking about a book. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this yeah. book. Yeah. I mean, this book. So what'd you do this week? Uh, I worked and I did more work and then I worked some more. Yeah, so that's, that's about it, it. Can I ask you something? What profession did George Costanza aspire to? George Costanza aspired to architect. And what fake name did he give people he wanted to impress? Oh, gosh, I know this answer. I know this answer. I used to roll it off my tongue. I can't remember. Tell me. Art Vandalay. Art Vandalay, yes. Yes, yes. so I went to a Seinfeld uh, trivia night with some friends of yours. You know what? I heard about Ah, that. Friends of mine, too. It was great. You should come next time. I did not feel excluded. I'm giving you many eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to be excluded from things sometimes. You always try to take my friends. I'm going to take yours. And we was winning all the money. People That's was rolling their eyes. We knew it. We knew it. This is the first time in my life that not having a life has benefited me financially. Hey, what did you win? All money. All the monies. All free the food. Monies. Free money. Gift cards. Everything. Drinks. Oh, it was great. That's a bonus. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for you. Thank you. I hear it's a weekly thing. Yes, yeah, so I'll be December. back. Oh, that's just where I go now. Oh, okay. I love, they have all these bars that do these, not bars, but restaurants, bars that do these trivia trivia nights. nights, Mm -hmm. And I love them. It's fun. I've played before with friends, but it's been a while and I'd love to get back into it. Well, we welcome you back anytime. Oh, thank you. To the inner circle. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Don't be lonely. (laughs) All right, readers. Each week, we're going to select a theme to discuss. And that theme is going to be inspired by the book that we are reading. Mm -hmm. This week's theme is about loneliness. And it came to us this way. I was watching... The news on Friday morning, as uh, I always do. Why are you watching the I'm news? I'm very passionate about watching the news oh, on a regular basis. My God. Specifically, CBS News. Gail King is on there. I like her. Oh, I like her when she interviews. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not the Dying only thing star. she does. That's not the only thing For she my does. Life. Anyway, anyway, I was watching the news and a segment was scheduled to come up and it was called the epidemic of loneliness. So let's get into it. Okay. In a world of mass connection and virtual communication, loneliness is easy to come by. And when loneliness becomes overwhelming, Mm -hmm. it can contribute to 
vices such as overeating, alcoholism, drug abuse, and so many other things. Yeah, self-medication. Mm-hmm. One of the things they said on CBS News was that loneliness is a growing health epidemic. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So the more connected we are virtually, the lonelier we are becoming. Right, mm-hmm. right. 46% of adults sometimes or always feel lonely. And then it mentioned that 43% felt isolated. So isolation is a physical thing where you're physically separated from people and loneliness. You can be lonely even in a group. Right. So they offered some suggestions to try to overcome loneliness. loneliness. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. The person offering them was Dr. Sue Varma. And she said that having a strong sense of self can contribute to... um, well, duh. <laughs> if it was that easy, but go ahead. <laughs> so don't they feel a, lonely. Have a stronger sense of self. No, thanks. but you got to think about how you see yourself. Think about, are you saying negative things about yourself? Mm. Because that can't help with your loneliness. Mm-hmm. It may take you away from people. Maybe you're saying people don't like me because this or mm-hmm. that. So those things, you need to build up your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. One of the other things she mentioned was the ability to relate to others. And when you're having discussions with people, have meaningful discussions with them. I'm write this. Um, don't engage in superficial discussions. And if you do, recognize that for what it is. Yeah. If you talk to me about these housewives, women, one more time, it's going to be a fight. Do you not kidding. think that's <laughs> meaningful? I don't know them, so it's not meaningful. But if I knew them, I'd probably be like all into it. Well, yeah, but if and that just sounds toxic. But if you're with a friend that watches it and you watch it too, first of all, can I just say I am not trying to put down that like trash television? Oh, it is. No, it is. But 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 is Seinfeld trash television? Is you know is the things I are the things I watch trash television? I'm not trying to say one is. Can we continue? I'm feeling uncomfortable. Well, you should. It happens when you start um, okay, go commenting ahead. on other people's I'm just going to mute my mic. <laughs> <laughs> so really the ability to relate to others. They're encouraged to have meaningful conversations. Avoid the superficial. But if you have a superficial conversation, recognize it for what it is. Okay? And what change it. No, not necessarily what because do we do have superficial conversations with oh, people. Oh, we're that's just kind shooting of a, the breeze. Yeah, that's a part of Go life. You know, that's all building a relationship. Yeah, that's all part so of the, building. Okay. But ultimately, our goal is to have meaningful conversations with people so that we can, you know, enrich ourselves, you know, like create some wellness for yeah. our own selves. And then the final one was engage with your community, something outside of yourself. So consider other people. Now, for myself, I... I am currently dealing with an episode of depression. Mm -hmm. I enjoy being alone. Mm -hmm. I don't feel lonely, but I like to be alone. Mm -hmm. But I also like to be with people, but I enjoy being alone more than that. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I do to try to help myself is consider other people. For example, I was invited out to dinner. The person that made the original arrangement canceled. Mm -hmm. So then it was just going to be myself and the other person. The invitees. Yes. And you and could have been like, ah, well, I they was canceled, so ready so. to cancel. <laughs> I had to talk myself out of that because the person that the other invited person, she has children. I'm like, well, if she has children, then she made this time. She set yeah. this time aside. So I can't cancel. Also, I'm just going to join. And for me, that was very rich. And I was so glad that I went. I had a really good time. 
it was a feel good moment. For I mean, me. there's a meme about there are memes about being so happy when plans cancel. I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And depression. Um, this has been said like I, I read this from the CDC. Depression is like a cold. So everyone can get it, but yep. not everyone gives themselves time to overcome it. Right. And some cold strains, some um, virus strains are worse than others in the same way. Some bouts of depression affect people differently. We're all affected differently by depression. Yep. But sticking to ourselves, being alone. I mean, it's isolating. Trending, girl. It's like so popular to be antisocial. It is, and it's easy to do. But you, um, you know, seek your own selfish longing. You can feel like, well, I ain't got to go out. It's so easy to do. It's (laughs) It's so so easy easy to do. Sit up on your couch. Click through some shows yep. or read a book mm-hmm. or read a book yep. and that's it. And you're done. So, yep. yeah. But those are some excellent tips. Can you give me those again? So one, improve self-esteem two ability um, to relate to others and three, engage with your community. So what you did was Step engaging outside. with the community, mm-hmm. with the community. How do you improve your self-esteem? That's like telling someone who lost their keys. Well, go back to the last place you had them. If I knew that, they wouldn't be lost. If I could improve my self-esteem, just do it, then it wouldn't be something I had to work on. Okay, so the important thing to do is to um, think about the self-defeating feelings you may have within ourselves. And nip them in the bud. Yeah, that's that's one of the first steps, I believe. This is my personal take on it, is that you do need to watch negative thoughts. We've read books before where Uh people have talked negatively about themselves, and it makes me cringe. Mm -hmm. I can't stand that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the most important thing when you're trying to build your self-esteem is, one, find something positive about yourself, and then two, stop with the negative self-talk. And it doesn't make people... A lot of people feel like, well, this is me showing how humble I am no. by putting myself down publicly. <laughs> no, that makes everyone uncomfortable. Stop doing it. And I, I I, mean, would you agree that a lot of people who talk negatively about others are just showing how they feel about themselves? Absolutely. So stop talking bad about others, too. So OK, so sorry. Last time. Okay. Imp- one, number one, improve self-esteem. Active ways we can do this. Stop feeding negative thoughts Mm -hmm. and also don't engage in negative talk about other people or things Two, (laughs) the ability to relate to others. Oh, so find the value. And okay, okay. Mm -hmm. so force yourself to have meaningful conversations conversations. versus superstitious, superficial, superficial conversations and superstitious conversations (laughs) are superficial. So it's all the same. And number three, engage with the community. Yeah. Something outside of yourself. Now you do a lot of volunteer work. I do. Yes. That, and that, that helps. Yeah. Especially the more active I am in that, Mm -hmm. the better I feel. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just thinking of our own problems, we're trying to help someone out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. be useful to the community absolutely and so one of the final things that I wanted to share about this they compared loneliness to smoking 15 cigarettes a day okay and I compare it to bees knees and birds ears let's not let's not it's a health health epidemic and (laughs) they say that I'm gonna add one more just because you mocked me (laughs) they said it's um it's just as high uh, health problem as being overweight. Okay. <laughs> Stop <it>. mocking me. <laughs> and on sorry. that note, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, great.
book readers. Kari. Yes. So give us a little background. Maybe tell us a little bit about the author. Sure. Okay. So our author, Delia Owens, grew up in rural Georgia in the 1950s, much like our protagonist in Where the Crawdads Sing. She battled with loneliness and also was uh, fascinated by the animal kingdom. She earned a Bachelor of Science degree in zoology from the University of Georgia and a PhD in animal behavior from the University of California in Davis. Um, Since completing her PhD in biology, she's published her studies in different journals, including Nature, the Journal of Mammalogy, Animal Behavior, and the African Journal of Ecology. Um, She also is co-founder of the Owens Foundation for Wildlife Conservation in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Stone Mountain's beautiful. Have you been there? Yes. Of course, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She has um, also worked as a roving editor for International Wildlife, lectured throughout North America, and has participated in conservation efforts for the grizzly bear throughout the United States. And this is where it gets interesting. (laughs) So um, in 1974, her and her husband moved to uh, Africa and they were kicked out of one country. Mm. Right. Under suspicious circumstances. Can you explain that to me? I couldn't quite. Understand yeah. why they were kicked out. So from what I understand, they're they're the animals, I wanna say wildebeest, had hoof and mouth disease. Oh, okay, okay. And so they didn't like how the nation was taking care of it. They were just letting them just like kill all the animals and they mm-hmm. didn't think that was the way to go. So they started talking about it and telling people kind of The Owens couple. The Owens couple started okay. talking about it. They were telling people not only in the country, but outside the country. Mm. They were trying to get na- international attention about this. The government didn't like that. They were like, hey, you know what? We don't want you talking about that because we Making sell money. food you're messing, to people. Yeah, and you're, you're messing, messing with our money. money. So they were like, get out. And then they moved to Zambia, right? Yep. And um, ABC aired a report in 1996 entitled Deadly Game, the Mark and Delia Owens story. Um, and in this documentary of sorts, a killing was featured, the killing of a poacher in Zambia. In this killing, Mark and his son are implicated. Right. Dealing is not implicate, implicated. Right. However, some have, I don't know, read into her first novel, Where the Crawdads Sing. She's 70 years old. This is her first novel. Mm-hmm. Um and felt like it was almost autobiographical in the sense of there being a murder and uh mm-hmm. Yeah. So so people have feelings about this book. I don't want to give away too much. But did you have anything else to add about Delia? Well, what I read about the murder is that it, it you know, they were really trying to stop these poachers. Mm-hmm. So they Mark and Delia. Yeah, they organized a group mm-hmm. called um a scouting party. Oh. And so they would go out looking for the poachers and were supposed to bring them in, I think, but they were actually um, telling them they were telling them. Um, and so in this one occasion, and they actually, had, they say it was filmed. They filmed the shooting of the poacher. And so what happened was they shot the man and then Mark Owens is is accused of having covered up the killing by carrying the body in a helicopter mm-hmm. and like dumping it and dropping in the it water. in the lake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's 
about all I know. Okay. Which is not much. Speculation. Yep. Love so it. far, the case is not closed. It's not open. It's just pending. They moved to the States and the U.S. Embassy advised them not to return. And they listened. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah. One of the things I remember um, reading about this is that this book reflects the effects of isolation and loneliness on a person and that she really connected with that and she wanted to kind of explore that feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Delia said that sometimes she's so lonely that she can't breathe. Oh, okay. So thanks for sharing your thoughts Mm -hmm. about the author and about the book a little bit, but let's have a brief synopsis. Hold the spoilers. Okay. So a synopsis without spoilers. I can do this in less than a minute. Great. Timing me. Marsh girl. Kaya Clark is abandoned by everyone she knows at an unthinkably tender age. The earth becomes her mother and the animal kingdom her family. As she grows to be beautiful, mysterious, two men take an interest in Kaya. One winds up dead. The town, fed by decades of prejudice against the Marsh people, placed the blame on a familiar enemy, the outcast. Written in painfully beautiful prose, we are taken inside the heart of a girl battered by loneliness whose life is held in the palms of people who know nothing about her but hate her all the same. What were your first thoughts about Where the Crawdads Sing? Wow. So I didn't know what to expect. You know, mm-hmm. I don't be researching no yeah, books. Yeah, you don't read stuff, reviews. Right? So I just pick up the book and start reading. Right. <laughs> Honestly. So when I got into it, I was like, okay. It says, I like short chapters and it does short <laughs> chapters and the words, I yeah. can read them. They're not flowery. So I was ready oh, to get yeah, into yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I what thought about her you? Just, um, my first thoughts, I too tried to, you know, did all I could to shield my mind from anyone else's view of this book. It is the like best selling book of 2019. So it, I mean, it was everywhere, but I succeeded. I didn't know anything. Wait, um, you didn't read reviews? No, I didn't. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I'll look at Goodreads to see where it scores out of four stars. <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think we're ready. I think we should take a deep dive into the book. And this time, Ooh. you're going to have to put the spoilers in. So, spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Stop we now. We need a sound. We need a Yeah, yeah we'll get a sound Stop effect. now. Pause now. Come back after you've read the book. If you really want to read this book. We are about to spoil it for you. Absolutely. Please take time to read it and come back. Okay. If you've already read it, let's get into it. Get in. Okay. So a content warning. This book touches on topics pertaining to S-E-X and R-A-P-E. We won't go into much detail, but we want you to know in case these subjects elicit a potentially harmful emotional response in some of our readers. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. A deep dive into where the crawdads sing. Lit Society, episode one. Part one. She didn't leave home. Home left her. Mm. <laughs> Picture it. <laughs> North Carolina, swampland. This isn't funny. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I'm laughing. Okay. Picture it. North Carolina, swampland, 1952, sunrise. A woman wakes up in a three-room shack on a secondhand mattress set on a creaky wooden floor, covered in bruises sprinkled with her own blood, but hurting even more on the inside. She packs a suitcase and walks right out of her front door. Behind her, she leaves her husband, her children. She doesn't look back. Like a bruised she-fox, too pitiful to care for herself, she's decided she's too weak, too ravished to care for her young. 
There's nothing left for her at home, so she leaves. Her youngest child, a small girl, six years old, watches her walk away. Now, it isn't until later in the book that we learn of the mother and father's story, but I'd like to tell it to you now. So you understand kind of like why they're doing what they're doing and how we got here. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So Kaya's mom was like upper middle class or even maybe upper class. Her family uh, lived on the water in Louisiana Mm -hmm. and owned a shoe factory. Right. Right. So they were really well off. She was used to finer things, but she was kind and thoughtful. Right. And in that kind, thoughtful soul, uh, a man named Jake saw his... In. And Jake is a scandal. He's shifty. He's a scoundrel. I mean, he's shifty. He is a scoundrel for yeah. sure. Okay. And he gets the scoundreling. Mm-hmm. And that's where we find ourselves one night, one year. Now, Jake's family also was well off at some time. But during the Depression, they lost everything to the point where they moved into a three-room shack. It was small in the marshland of North Carolina. And this marshland is like unincorporated. This is unincorporated land. They basically operate on their own sets of laws. Um, People just squat and make a home. Deeds, titles, that's not really a thing over there. And that's where they end up. Um, Jake, in the middle of the night, takes his family's belongings, all that he could grab, including his great grandmother's diamond ring, which gives you insight into who he is as a person. And he makes his way to New Orleans to woo Maria. He courts her well with everything he's pawned for about a month. Uh, Maria is convinced that she should marry this man. Uh, They do wed and uh, Jake begins working in his father-in-law's shoe factory, shoe shop. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's going to be a top manager, a manager. Yeah. (laughs) Within a few weeks or whatever. That doesn't happen. Yeah, he just assumed he was going to get the spot because he was the And I think he would have in-law. if he was made of anything, but his father-in-law probably saw right through him. Yeah, he wanted to test him out. So he gave him the lowest position in the factory. And Jake was like, oh, I hate this. I'm going to war. <laughs> right? Yes. So he does. Uh, one night. He was a no good. I mean, he really has very few redeeming qualities. So um, one night, his fellow soldiers run to save someone Ooh. that was in trouble, right? Yes. So they hear that someone's in trouble. They all jump up and he cowers in a corner. They don't know he's not running with them. So when a piece of shrap metal, does that happen? Right. Explodes and injures Jake's leg. They all assume that he got injured um, doing his duty for his country. But really, he was like hiding out, trying to get away from the action. He comes home, earns a medal and is honorably discharged. And only he knows his shameful secret. He didn't earn that medal. He should not be honorably discharged. He's a coward. He then takes his family, Maria, their children, and takes them back to that shack in the marsh of North Carolina once he learns his parents are dead. There is no mention of him mourning his parents. He just learns, you know what? I'm too ashamed to be in this environment. I really can't go back to the shoe factory and be like the peon in the whole corporation. So I'm going to go back to the shack and I'm going to drag Maria and all of my children down there. And one of the things it says is as once he discovered from a friend that his mother and father had died, it said, 
clearing the way for his plan. Oh, yeah. That sounded really sneaky. Yeah. Slimy snake. Yeah. Doesn't it tell you a little bit about who her father was? Yeah. Who Kaya's father was. Mm -hmm. So this man is declared a hero, doesn't deserve it, returns home, makes a plan to drag his family back to the swamp. He is not intending to care for them. I think he expected to live off of army checks. Yeah. He said there would be no rent. Mm hmm. And he could finish high school. Yeah. So she, a wealth, a woman coming from wealth. Right. Gets to the shack in the marsh and he goes, don't you worry, I'll fix it up in no time. He doesn't do anything. Um, he never improved the shack or finished high school. And soon after they arrive, he takes up drinking and poker and that becomes his life. Also becoming his life is beating people. Anyone in his way or who he deems is in his way. There's um, a scene where Maria has the children dressed up in bunny ears. Right. And he rips the ears off their heads and he's like, where you get these fancy clothes? You've been out prostituting, yep. you slut. And she's like, no, please, not in front of the kids. He like scratches one of the boys' faces, Jody's face. Um, with a poker. With a poker. Yeah. Disgusting. So it is in this circumstance that the mom loses herself. And she packs up one day and leaves. Right. She returns to New Orleans, we find, to her sister. Eventually, everyone leaves. The siblings, as they get older, begin just walking away in the same fashion. Until it's just Jody, Kaya's favorite sibling. He's like the boy just above her in age. And they're best friends. And he tells her one day, I gotta go. His face is swollen because his dad has just beat him. And he's like, I can't stay here, Kaya. If anyone comes for you, because her fear is that she'll become a ward of the state. Right. If anyone comes for you, just hide in the marsh. You can do it better than anyone. You know how to hide your tracks. You know how to disappear into the land. And he leaves. And it's just Kaya and her dad. At first, her father, filled with bitter rage and likely shame, burns all of the mother's things. Things that would have kept the memory of their her mom fresh in her mind. He doesn't think about Kaya. Um, and for a while, eventually, he even starts to act like a father. He takes her with him fishing, calls Kaya hun. Yeah. Kaya, even though he was burning some stuff, yeah. Kaya was able to grab some pieces. What did she grab? Um, I know she had a dress of her mom's. I feel like a picture, too. Oh, Not a picture of her mom, so. yeah. but a picture. Okay. I don't maybe know what painting. it was, but I do. Yes, maybe a painting. And but a book. I, and a book. Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. <laughs> yes. That was <laughs> Which cute. you and I have read. Mm -hmm. It was funny because that's where she learned about love. And that, I thought, I was really? Like, exactly. Same. <laughs> that's same. not a place anyone should be learning about love. She was a child. Yeah. We'll talk about Rebecca one day. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, he he does kind of soften up and seems to be trying to be a man. Right. After everyone has left and it's just him and this little girl. But one day a letter comes from her mom and after reading it and burning it, her father returns to the bottle and mm. eventually leaves her forever in the marsh she, to raise and care for herself. I was just heartbroken. Mm hmm. At the leaving of the family members. Yeah. And she's always one. looking for someone. She's looking for someone to return first. She's always looking for her mother and then Jody, and then even her father, because she's fearful, yes. she's hungry. But whenever she falls or is terrified, it seems that the earth, the land is what catches her. And so the earth becomes her mother. Mm -hmm. 
and then it becomes her family. So there are some themes in this first part. Abandonment, she's um, completely left a child on her own. And I think what's so painful about this novel is that there are children who are abandoned. Mm -hmm. So this is just so unreal to think of a seven-year-old caring for herself. Um, a 10 year old caring for a 14 year old caring right. for herself, but it does happen like caring for mm-hmm, herself, mm-hmm. figuring out how to make money so that she can bring in more grits, having to, to be resourceful, herself. no time for school. She um, into her mid teens doesn't know what number comes after 29. Right. Um, and some people, I mean, outside of this book may have a home full of people. But those people might be compromised by drugs or right. whatever, and they are abandoned. Those children are abandoned yep. in that home. So, I mean, it's really, it really tugs at your heartstrings. It does. Yeah. Incredibly lonely. She doesn't have any human contact for years at a time. She's illiterate. Um, but like you said, she has to find a way to survive. So she wakes up early and digs muscles out of the ground and sells them to jump in. Who's the local Negro? Now, I'm not going to harp too much about this. Please don't. <sighs> okay. But go ahead. Get in I it. just have a few issues with jumping. Please. I just want to say right quick. Mm-hmm. He is both endearing and problematic as a character. I think that for him to be, he's not quite a magical Negro, but he is... He's just a very one dimensional character. Mm-hmm. He, we don't really know his motivations. Um, and I feel like every other character in town, even if we only know them briefly, like the pastor's wife, we know them. They are more rounded characters than this jolly Negro jump in. I also have a problem with the fact that we don't really use his name. However, Kaya is not Kaya's name, right? Right. The main character, her name is Catherine. So I'm going to get over that. And that's all I'm going to say, because uh, Jumpin' and his wife, Mabel, become Kaya's only friends. Uh, He nurtures her. He buys these muscles from her, no doubt giving her more money than they're worth. So he knows basically what's going on. He's not in a position to help her because who's going to listen to him when it comes to this girl? Um, Both of them are on the bottom of society in their area right she's a marsh person and he's black good morning she's called quietly drifting expertly up the dock hiya miss kaya got somebody here for you to meet this here's my wife mabel mabel walked up and stood next to jumping so that when kaya stepped onto the wharf they were close mabel reached out and took kaya's hand held it gently in hers and said it's mighty fine to meet you, Miss Kaya. Jumpin's told me about what a fine girl you are and one of the best oyster pickers. In spite of hoeing her garden, cooking half of every day, and scrubbing and mending for whites, Mabel's hand was supple. Kaya kept her fingers in that velvet glove but didn't know what to say, so stood quiet. Now, Miss Kaya, we got a family who will trade clothes and other stuff you need for your smoked fish. Kaya nodded, smiled at her feet, then asked, What about gas from a boat? Mabel turned question eyes to jumping. Well, now, I'll give you some today because I know you're short, but you keep bringing in muscles and such when you can. Mabel said in her big voice, Lord, child, lesson don't worry none about them details. Now, let me look at you. I got to calculate your size and tell them. She led her into the tiny shop, 
let's sit here and you tell me what clothes and what all else you need. After they discussed the list, Mabel traced Kaya's feet on a piece of brown paper bag, then said, Well, come back tomorrow and there'll be a stack here for you. I'm much obliged, Mabel. Then, her voice low, said, There's something else. I found these old packages of seeds, but I don't know about gardening. Well, now, Mabel leaned back and laughed deep in her generous bosom. I can sure do a garden. She went over every step in great detail, then reached into some cans on the shelf and brought out squash, tomato, and pumpkin seeds. She folded each kind into some paper and drew a picture of the vegetable on the outside. Kaya didn't know if Mabel did this because she couldn't write or because she knew Kaya couldn't read, but it worked fine for both of them. She thanked them, stepped into her boat. I'm glad to help you, Miss Kaya. Now come back tomorrow for your things, Mabel said. Um, but when she gets her cycle for the first time, Mabel knew right away what was happening and brought her supplies so she could care for herself. And the book mentions that Mabel just pulled her to her pillowy bosom. <laughs> and I thought, OK, that's mammy behavior. But then I thought, have you ever been comforted in a pillowy bosom? It is the best thing on earth. Yes. And I got to interject here and okay. talk about my friend. Okay. <laughs> I have this friend and she's younger than me. Uh-huh. But if you feel sad <laughs> or blue, she will pull you into the bosom <laughs> and hold you closely. I mean, it's very comforting. <laughs> I won't say that because she might hear. But side note, it's very comforting when you said. Okay, so I'm going to let it Listen, Delia, I'm going to let this ride. But I'm watching you. Okay. <laughs> so um, Kaya buys grits and things from the local Piggly Wiggly. And even though she can't count, she um, does whatever she can to take the money she gets from jumping and get grits. Like grits are her life until, yep. um, like you read, uh, Maple shows her how to garden. Yep. And then she starts eating turnips with her grits. And then her garden starts to be lavish because she's really learning from the earth. Yeah. And she is a bright child. Yes. So what she's learned, she's collecting specimens from around the marsh, learning about different organisms and paying attention. Right. So she is, um, I don't want to say thriving because she is incredibly lonely, but she's surviving. She's definitely not thriving. She mm -hmm. is surviving. And the woman at the Piggly Wiggly, she doesn't know it, but um, she gives her extra money and balances the cash register out of her own right. pocketbook. Um, so another theme is that people need people. Women especially need women. What did you think of that? That is a re reoccurring theme in this book, too. It is. I, I I agree. I mm -hmm. believe it. Um, Her mom said uh, women need women more than women need men. They need that social like flock. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And actually the author spoke about it um, in one of her interviews and how she missed it. She felt like she's isolated now. Mm -hmm. um, Delia Owens is isolated now and where she lives because she's taking care of the land. Mm -hmm. But she feels like she misses her flock. Did she used to have one? Yes. Okay, because our protagonist that. never has a group of friends, mm -hmm. right. female or otherwise. And she longs for them when she sees. Mm -hmm. When she longs when for. When she's hiding and she sees girls playing together, it's like a physical pain right. fills her body. Mm -hmm. This book. 
Part two, a thin line between love and tape. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alt. Ooh, tainted love. <laughs> this is good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So his dad had told him many times that the definition of a real man is one who cries without shame, reads poetry with his heart, fills opera in his soul, and does what's necessary to defend a woman. That's what he does. That's Tate's dad. Tate is a local. He's not in the marsh. He's not marsh people, but he's not too far from them. Right. He's not marsh people. He's not marsh. No, because his dad is a respected shrimper. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Who lives nearby. His Tate's mother and daughter died in a town um, nearby town in a car accident. He believes that they were in town to buy a gift for him. So he feels responsible for their death. That sort of uh, grief and regret kind of informs his character and how that character is very thoughtful with women, um, mm-hmm. treats Kaya initially as like a little sister. Um, also, Tate was friends of Jody, Kaya's brother. One is one in age to her. Right. One day before Pa left, Kaya was out in Pa's boat, in her father's boat, um, unbeknownst to her father, and she got lost. Right. It was Tate who helped her get home. Right. And they didn't have much words exchanged because Kaya's painfully shy, of course. Um, but he did that for her. And seeing him just take control and in a calming way, that was direction that she had lacked in her life. And she started thinking about him constantly, Um, not in a romantic way. What she needs throughout her life is a pure human interacting. Yeah. Interaction. One of the things I remember is that she just wanted to have a conversation, some back and forth with Mm -hmm. someone. And it hurt her that she couldn't have that. Yes. Yep. Um, So eventually after Pa leaves, he visits, Tate visits uh, Kaya and teaches her how to read. And he's very um, considerate in the way he does it. When she asks yeah. what number comes after 29, she's like 14 at this point. He doesn't look at her shocked. He just goes 30 and I will teach you arithmetic. Right. <laughs> Let's move on. He doesn't laugh at her. He right. doesn't mock her for not knowing. He is really a... A gentle teacher. Mm-hmm. When she, she shows him the shack that she lives in, he sees all these specimens she's create, um, collected, the feathers, the shells. And he's not, everyone calls it junk. Like her father right. used to call it junk. Someone else in the book is just more fascinated or just sees it as like a novelty, some right. odd thing she does. But he sees her potential as a scientist. Right. And so he's really respecting her intellect. Um, Tate spends a lot of time teaching her how to care for herself. And that's the way he shows that he cares for her. Duh, they start dating and kissing a lot (laughs) and going too far. Okay. Uh He apologizes. She's 15. He's 19. He is four years older than her at this time. Right. What are your thoughts about that? So we've talked about age ain't nothing but a number. Oh, I mean, like after 30. (laughs) Right. So this isn't that. (laughs) She has to grow up. Yeah. She absolutely has to grow up. I think he should. I had it. I did not like Tate at this point in the book. I like that he taught her how to read. Right. I like that. I like all the moments when he's being a friend to her. Right. But why not? If I if I as a girl made a friend 
out of a swamp girl. <laughs> I'm bringing her home so that she can meet my family because so, I'm going to have a life. I'm not going to be here forever. She must talk about how lonely she is. Wouldn't you introduce her to your friends? I don't think she talked about how lonely she was. Well, you got to know she lonely. She only talks to you in her life. Yeah. And it's something about men who try to keep women isolated. I just didn't like why is Tate not socializing this girl? Even at 19, she's 14. She's 14. She's a little girl. You should take her home. Let her let your dad know she's there. The if whole community friends, knew she was there. No oh, one cared true. that much. But they didn't know exactly where she was. Not everybody. The whole community knew where she was. That's how. Mm. Um, and he was young himself, even though he, he cared about her. He was 19 years old and she was four, four, 15. He was still young. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had his own goals. And so you have that okay. inner selfishness. I mean, fine. All right. Well, look. So he was teaching her for his friend jody her brother nah he so he he does say like you were jody's sister and i'm gonna look after you because jody ain't here but kaya is becoming beautiful and he likes spending time with this beautiful girl and then when they start dating it really ain't about jody but you know i'm not right. gonna harp I'm on just tate. talking That's about fine. the origins of okay the reader is supposed to believe tate is quote unquote, the good guy. And that's fine. I'm going to just say Tate made some decisions I don't agree with, but we can move on. But he was the good guy. <laughs> Going too far <laughs> with a baby. You better get out of here. Uh, he goes to college and he tells Kaya, listen, I'm going to return July 4th because Kaya really keeping track of dates. But he says it's not far from now and I'm going to see you. She was. She had learned so much then. Yeah, she's watching the sun and looking at the moss on the trees. And she's like, I could have sworn this the fourth. But guess what? He don't come. So later on, readers, we do find out that Tate did come. And um, there's a reason why he didn't speak to Kyle. Her head low to the ground. She hadn't seen him or heard his slow-moving boat. He quietly turned his skiff into reeds out of view. He'd known for years that she sometimes spied on him, peeping through needlebrush. On impulse, he would do the same. Barefoot, dressed in cut-off jeans and a white t-shirt, she stood up, stretching her arms high, showcasing her wasp-thin waist. She knelt again and scooped sand in her hand, sifting it through her fingers, examining organisms left squiggling in her palm. He smiled at the young biologist, absorbed, oblivious. Suddenly, Tate startled as Kaya sprang to her feet, sand spilling from her fingers and looked upstream, away from Tate. He could barely hear the low churn of an outboard motor coming their way, probably a fisherman or a marsh dweller headed to town. A purring sound, common and calm as doves. But Kaya grabbed the knapsack, sprinted across the sandbar, and scrambled into tall grass. Squatting low to the ground and snatching glances to see if the boat had come into view, she duck-walked toward her boat, knees lifting nearly to her chin. She was closer to Tate now, and he saw her eyes, dark and crazed. When she reached the boat, she hunkered beside its girth, head low. On some level, he knew she behaved this way, But since the feather game had not witnessed the raw, unpeeled core, how tormented, isolated, and strange. 
He'd been at college less than two months, but had already stepped directly into the world he wanted, analyzing the stunning symmetry of the DNA molecule as if he'd crawled inside a glistening cathedral of coiling atoms and climbed the winding, acidic rungs of the helix. Seeing that all life depends on this precise and intricate code transcribed on fragile organic slivers, which would perish instantly in a slightly warmer or colder world, at last surrounded by enormous questions and people as curious as he to find the answers, drawing him toward his goal of research biologists in his own lab, interacting with other scientists. Kaya's mind could easily live there, but she could not. Breathing hard, he stared at his decision hiding there in cord grass. Kaya or everything else. Kaya, Kaya, I just can't do this, he whispered. I'm sorry. You know, he, she did say, how come no one ever takes me with them? When they leave, everyone keeps leaving Mm -hmm. and no one is taking me with them, with them. So when he leaves, however, Kaya keeps reading and she reads everything, Mm -hmm. scientific books, like we mentioned, novels. Right. Um, she also reads poetry by a woman named Hamilton published in local papers. The themes of this part um, are friendship, companionship. Tate does teach her how to care for herself. That gift of reading is the most invaluable gift anyone gives her in her life. Um, but also abandonment and betrayal because she could never live in his world, he thought. So he left her in the marsh alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And then lastly, the theme that we see here is the power of literacy to really change a person's life right. and outlook. And it did change her life. Yeah. I'll let you go into that. Part three, wild goose chase. <laughs> <laughs> so Chase is this inferior male in the animal <laughs> kingdom. <laughs> he die alone, childless, maybe mateless, definitely. But he's beautiful, popular, confident. So in the human realm, he's the local celebrity. He was the star quarterback in high school and it's his crowning achievement. The only thing he's ever done well in life. Because at this point, he's like 24, 25. He ain't in high school. And they're still talking about his football years in high school. And the point is kind of made that everyone else kind of moved on. They like had lives and he's still in town as the local celebrity. Okay. Um, From high school. Right. His parents own an auto shop and he works there with them. They're like uh, one of those families in town that everyone aspires to be. They're the Joneses. If you're keeping up with the Joneses. One time he's near the swamp or in it and he and Kaya's eyes meet. He starts coming to visit her in the marsh and soon he takes her on a picnic and tries to (laughs) (laughs) wink, wink. (laughs) And this is where we get one of Kaya's best lines in the book. I'll just read it right quick. She says in her heart, this was too abrupt picnic, then mate the marsh girl, even male birds woo the females for a while, flashing brilliant feathers, building bowers, Staging magnificent dances and love songs. Yet Chase laid out a banquet. Yes, but 
I'm worth more than fried chicken. Yes. Yes. Put that on a shirt. Yes. I'm, I'm worth, worth more, more than, than fried, fried chicken. chicken. Yes, yes, Kaya. Mm-hmm. I love that line. So when she rejects his advances, of course, he's even more captivated by her. And he's like, OK, 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 listen. I won't even hold your hand if you don't want me to. And then he like kind of makes an effort in his way. He um in his way comes by her shack and they have a meal together. He doesn't try anything. He looks at her collection and he's like, why would you collect anything you can see right outside your door? He's dumb. He's simple. Yeah, he's simple. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes her to the top of the fire tower. And this is the one and only time he Uh, shows her something she didn't already know because she's looking down on the marsh and on the land and it really does mesmerize her. Mm -hmm. Um, So even when Chase is being good, he's a narcissist. The first time he comes to her shack, he goes, that's neat living out here with no parents to tell you what to do. (laughs) Gosh, cringe. And eventually he's the first person she has (laughs) with. (laughs) That connection leads to his immediate disconnection. He stops promising to bring her around his friends, which he had been doing before, around his family. And then he just stops promising. Go ahead. Yeah. He lured her, though, with that, Mm -hmm. with the promise of marriage. Mm -hmm. And she related that to the animal kingdom in some way. Right. That's how he how he bedded her. Yep. By just talking about marriage consistently and what we're going to do when we're married and this is how our life's going to be. And she thought of being normal and that was enough. And the thing about that is she was never in love with him and she acknowledged that. But she needed. Yeah, there was actually that's like way before they end up in a hotel or motel is when she laughs at his stupid joke. He makes a joke about something that's serious to her and she laughs just for him. Right. And she's like, oh, this is what it feels like to give up a part of yourself for someone else. Yeah. So he starts showing up less and less and she starts being alone again more and more. Um, She catches herself. Well, first she's waiting for him all the time and then she's trying to distract herself but catches herself trying to listen for his boat. And... um. Yeah, this is sad because it's, again, someone else who has abandoned her. But this time he really took a lot from her. Yeah. She had placed all her hopes on him. One day she does hear a boat coming, thinks it's Chase, runs out. And no, it's not Chase. Guess guess who it was. It's Tate. It's Tate. Kaya, listen to me. I know you're with Chase now. I respect that. I just, I want to talk with you. Please, Kaya. Why should I talk with you? I never want to see you again, ever. She picked up a handful of smaller stones and slung them at his face. He jerked to the side, bent forward, and grabbed the gunwale as his boat ran aground. I said, get out of here. Still yelling, but softer, she said, yes, I am with someone else now. Tate steadied himself after the jolt of hitting the shore and then sat on the bow seat of his boat. Kaya, please, there's things you should know about him. Tate had not planned on having a conversation about Chase. None of this surprise visit to see Kaya was going as he'd imagined. What are you talking about? You have no right to talk to me about my private life. I know I don't, but, but I'm doing it anyway. At this, Kaya turned to leave, but Tate talked louder at her back. 
You don't live in town. You don't know that Chase goes out with other women. Just the other night, I watched him drive away after a party with the blonde in his pickup truck. He's not good enough for you. She whirled around. Oh, really? You are the one who left me, who didn't come back when you promised. You never came back. You are the one who never wrote to explain why or even if you were alive or dead. You didn't have the nerve to break up with me. You were not man enough to face me, just disappeared. You come floating in here after all these years. You're worse than he is. He might not be perfect, but you're worse by a long shot. She stopped abruptly, staring at him. Palms open, he pleaded. You're right about me, Kai. Everything you said is true. I was... And I had no right to bring up Chase. It's none of my business and I'll never bother you again. I just need to apologize and explain things. I've been sorry for years, Kaya, please. She hung like a sail where the wind just went out. Tate was more than her first love. He shared her devotion to the marsh, had taught her how to read, and was the only connection, however small, to her vanished family. He was a page of time, a clipping pasted in a scrapbook because it was all she had. Her heart pounded as the fury dissipated. One day she catches Chase at Piggly Wiggly with a girl. He's got his arm around a girl and he's around a group of friends. He tries to play it off. He's like, oh, hey, Kaya, this is so and so and this is whatever. She returns home with a newspaper because Kaya loved to be reading. And in it, she finds out the girl who he had his arm around is his fiance. Mm. This is very painful, of course. And so she starts hiding in the swamp whenever Chase shows up. And eventually she disconnects from him completely. She doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And she forms a friendship anew with Tate. He convinces her, Tate, to write a book about her knowledge of the marsh. So the themes here, obviously, beauty versus substance. Her mom used to say unworthy boys make a lot of noise. And that's really yeah. like what we see in Chase, right? Yep. He's beautiful, loud. Everyone loves him and he loves being loved. Yep. But all he loves is himself. Or maybe he hates himself. That's another question. But anyway, part four, Jody, Jody, Jody. When oh, Kaya Jody. was young, still with her dad, a letter came from her mother, you'll remember. And for a moment, he was acting like a dad. But after that letter, he takes um, he stops taking her fishing. He drinks more and eventually he disappeared. She's always wondered what was in that letter. She couldn't read at the time. Right. If she had that letter now, she would have, you know, read it and kept it. But her father burned it to ash. One day, a man comes to the shack, knocks on the door, and she's terrified because the only way out of the shack is the front door. So she's like, what am I going to do? But the man has a cut on his face, and she recognizes it's her brother, Jody. Because that cut Jody. was the one their dad gave him. So she opens the door to family, to oh. a connection that cannot be uh, divided. Well, I mean, there are ways. But anyway, she opens the door <laughs> to family. Okay. Jody brings news. First of all, he was at war and all he thought about was how he left Kaya. So he comes back with just this regret and shame in his heart. He wants her forgiveness. And she's like, you don't have to ask me for anything. I'm happy you're here. And I never blamed you. You had to leave. 
If you didn't leave, you wouldn't have survived. She compares everything that people do to what animals do Mm -hmm. and learns a lot from um, about people in that way. Jody shares with her that um, from their aunt, she learned that her he learned that their mother returned to Louisiana mute, driven to madness. And it wasn't until a year later that she spoke. And at that time, when she said her first words, it was asking for her children. She remembered that she left her children. Right. So she wrote their father and asked for her kids back. The dad wrote back. If you come here or try to contact them, I will beat them until they're unrecognizable. And here's the thing. By mm-hmm. that time, only Kaya was left. Mm-hmm. But the mother didn't know that. And the mother didn't know. Mm-hmm. But she had experienced his beating. So she had no choice but to believe that. Exactly. Yeah. So eventually she took to painting her children, the children that she missed. And she created these beautiful oil paintings. And Jody brings them to Kaya. Um, uh, years later, we find that their mother did die of leukemia and she remained a recluse until her death. So she was always missing her children. children yeah. um, one of her paintings was of Kaya and a young boy. It was Tate. Oh, Tate. So somewhere at a time before Kaya can even remember, she had this connection with Tate and her mother captured it in a painting. Jody tells her that Tate once saved her from Pa. Uh, Jody was seven or eight and was shouting at their dad to stop shaking Kaya violently. So Pa slapped Jody, but Tate picked up Kaya and handed her to her mother. And he didn't leave until Kaya was safe. He says, listen, go get Tate. I know he abandoned you, but that's that's your man, girl. He said because he was young. He was young. You you make stupid mistakes when you're young. I've made them. That's what he said. Okay. Mm -hmm. Trigger warning. Um, Kaya is out in the marsh one day and feels someone behind her. It's Chase. He was fishing nearby and he tries to rape her. He knocks her down and punches her, undress her and himself. She finds the strength to fight him away. Two men see her. Part five, sub story in a subculture. <laughs> One day, someone's found dead. You know who it is? Mm. Oh, it's Chase. Oh, okay. Chase is dead. And the people are like, what? Chase? But he's the star. Everyone loves him. And the sheriff is like, everybody don't love him. He'd be like with people's wives. And there's a lot of people I can think of that would kill him. Right, right. And then everyone starts in unison kind of going, you should look at the marsh because we've seen him with that girl. And, you know, yeah. it was probably him. She had her. did it and stuff. Yeah. And the mom comes with the most uh, convincing evidence. Chase's mom. Chase's mom. Sorry. Um, Chase used to wear a shell on a rawhide that was given to him by the marsh girl. <laughs> but when the body was found, the necklace was gone. The shell necklace. Also, the two men that saw Chase, that saw um, Kaya yelling at Chase when Chase tried to assault her, they're like, there's your motive. Yeah. Just. mm. So. um, Because in that she threatened to kill him. Yeah. She said, basically, if you touch me again, I'll kill you. Right. Which is a very reasonable thing to say. Um, Can I ask you at this point, who do you think killed Chase? I was waiting for it to be Tate. 
also the author very good mentioned specifically certain things throughout the book. Tate's dad tells him a real man does whatever it takes to defend a woman. Right. We're also giving a word picture of Tate, beautiful boy on his boat with a red hat. Right. Now, when Chase is killed, there are red fibers found on Chase's jacket that match a hat owned by the Marsh Girl by Kaya. That hat was given to her by Tate. So we kind of fed these little morsels where we can go, ooh, I done figured it out. I'm so smart. So Kaya is the one arrested, put on trial. Um, For her, the people that represent her in court, um, we can say are Tate. Eventually, Tate's father, wow. the shrimper, he's a good man. Um, Jumpin' and Mabel, her only friends, and that's it. But her lawyer is kind of like, he the business. He know what he doing. He heard about the trial. They were going to give her some young, probably free lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, no, I'm coming out of retirement to represent this swamp girl because pro bono. I already know y'all trash. Yep. Yeah. And he was good. What did you think of this part now? The, the language in the book changes drastically in the court scene from poetry to more matter of fact. Right. I still found it compelling. I thought she did a good job. What did you think? I agree. I thought she did a good job in mm-hmm. these, um, these takes. Yeah. Um, eventually, Kaya is acquitted. There's a cute scene where um, everyone's in an uproar before the verdict is announced. And everyone's found out that Kaya... Um, Something about Kaya and Chase's relationship. And the judge is like slamming down his gavel. He's like ordering the court. Hey, shut up. And the um, court's cat, Sunday Justice, Justice. jumps on Kaya's lap. (laughs) (laughs) And the the attorney defending the state, or was it a state case? Whatever. The attorney looks at the judge almost wanting to protest for the favoritism. (laughs) But what do you say? Yeah, that was funny. So, yeah, she's eventually com- acquitted. And eventually the townies get to towning and they just they do what start gossiping do. about something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part six. Oh, go ahead. Can I say that? Yeah, please. By the time we went to court, I knew it wasn't Tate. How did you know? Because of the way he acted? Because his dad told him to protect women and that would not be protecting women. Yeah. If you're sitting in court while she's being tried. Yeah, you would have come forward. Mm-hmm. And there is a scene after Kai is acquitted where the sheriff speeds his boat to um, Tate. Okay. Kaya sees them from afar off and all she sees is Tate hang her head and get in the boat with the sheriff. And I thought uh, they caught him. Cause I'm, Did you really? Yeah, I'm still thinking. Oh, it's yeah, Tate. I was done by then. Because I want to feel like, oh, I got it. I'm but so also, smart. the words said it. You know, she Kaya said words after that. Are they arresting him for it? She oh, said did that. She? Yes. No, she just said, why is the share? No, 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 no. It was implied. Okay, fine. You inferred from the implication. Okay, so actually what, what the do. sheriff was telling Tate is that his father had passed. All this time, Tate was following his heart and obsessed with his heart and that he was obsessed with Kaya. He didn't recognize that his father was getting weaker and weaker and he died. Um, So that's a very sad part. Um, Now, there are some themes here about abandonment. Everyone abandons us eventually if we live long enough. But really affects us is when they abandon us. Every all of Kaya's family abandoned her when she was much too young to be without Tate eventually also finds himself alone 
But it's after he's established as a person, he's been cared for. He is a doctor at this point um, at a nearby facility. And he's also helping Kaya um, establish her career. So he's able to do for himself. Right. Um, so these are, this is the one part in the book where Kaya in the way of people has more than Tate. Cause Kaya has both Jody and Tate. Right. Um, part six, it was me. Mm. <laughs> It was me. So um, Tate and Kaya remain together until her death. And after she dies, Tate finds these letters by Hamilton. You'll remember as the poet. And Tate had always thought this poetry was like, okay. But Kaya loved it. And she would like clip it out of journals and save it. He finds uh, poetry by Hamilton in the author's handwriting, which he recognizes to be Kaya's handwriting. Mm. Kaya was Hamilton. So after she learned how to read, she needed to have a conversation in a way. She needed to communicate. And she did that by writing this beautiful poetry based on nature and submitting it to different publications. And she'd save those clippings. And one of these poems stuck out. It was not published, entitled Fireflies. Do you remember what the poem was? Like, do you want me to read it or something? Sure, yeah, go ahead, if you want, or whatever. The Firefly. Luring him was as easy as flashing Valentine. But like a lady firefly, they hit a secret call to die. A final touch, unfinished. The last step, a trap. Down, down he falls. His eyes still holding mine. Until they see another world. I saw them change. First a question, then an answer. Finally an end. And love itself passing to whatever it was before it began. So now the circumstances around Chase's death. Chase fell from the fire um, tower. Tower. One of the grates was left open. It seems he stepped into it and fell, you know, a billion feet down to his death. Mm-hmm. Kaya was implicated as the one who left the grate open. Like she lured him up there, left it open or pushed him out of it. Right. Because the kids were used to going up there all their lives. No one would intentionally uh, fall down. But it turns out, no, that is exactly what happened. She, she lured him up there as a firefly would to attract a mate with a certain signal before changing that signal. Anyway, she learned a lesson from the firefly. She thought, oh, I'm going to do that to kill Chase. And she did. <laughs> <laughs> and she kept that secret with her to the grave. She sure did. Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. At her funeral, the town shows up. People who have read her books show up because she is now, she has earned a doctorate, an honorary PhD from a local university. She's being asked to come in for speaking engagements, to teach classes, and she refuses, choosing just to live in the marsh with Tate. At her death, these um, studied people come, also the town people, and anyone who's heard of the marsh girl. And on her, um, tombstone tate imprints the epithet is that the word is it sure marsh girl so that her legend may live on forever the end let's take a break Okay, welcome back. Alexis, what did you think about Where the Crawdads Sing? I enjoyed it very much. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was a good 
well-written book. Again, you know, I really like short, short chapters. <laughs> I like the chapter descriptions. I like the connection um, that she described between um, the insects. It was mostly, well, all the animals that she... And man. And man, mm-hmm. yeah, and that and relationship women. and how they are so similar. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. I liked when she talked about a, a species and expounded on it. Those things were interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So I love the book and would recommend it. Were there any parts of it you were eye rolling? Um, I got to say at the introduction of oh. jumping, I did roll my eyes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Ugh. and there's a moment where um, some kids f- start following him home and he's just cre- um, painted as a docile creature. Yeah. But you know. Yeah, I, I did feel um type of way, but I just got into it and recognized it for what it was. So I, again, I really enjoyed the book. I would read it again. It kind of reminded me of um some childhood books that I've read and mm-hmm. I can't think of the name of them, unfortunately, but I, it did make me think of books that I read where there's um a little bit of mystery in there yeah, and relationship things. So I enjoyed it. What about you? How do you feel about it? Um, this was, uh, I loved the book. I was captivated with it. Um, and these characters really stayed with me. I felt a connection to Kaya, to her world. I didn't want to leave it. It was painted so beautifully. Um, there was a time when I woke up at like 3 a.m. a couple nights ago and I couldn't oh, sleep. Why? So I just read like four chapters because I went to bed early, mm-hmm. which I need to do. Okay. But then that makes me wake up way too early. Oh, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to. Anyway. So, yeah, I just started reading this book again and I was happy to do it. Um, I did feel like the themes of uh, sexuality and the painful themes of abandonment were held, handled very delicately. I agree. And I, especially in the beginning of this book, was in constant fear of this female child being raped. That's all I thought of really? by everyone. That <laughs> actually Whenever never she left my the mind. house, my palms would sweat. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, yeah. That, that never crossed my mind. So when someone did finally try to assault her, I was like, oh, do I really want to read this? But it was handled in a way that wasn't overly graphic. The point was made without dwelling on it. You are not to get any pleasure out of this character being almost victimized or victimized. She's been victimized in so many ways. Um, So I thought the author did a really good job of bringing these people to life and making me want to be a part of their world um so great job i would highly recommend it it's one of the best books i've read i hate to believe the hype but believe the hype you fell for the hype i did it was a really good book great storytelling i i was great after like 20 thinking oh yeah this is what a good book feels like yeah so (laughs) i forgot totally mirror your expressions there because I was intrigued with Kaya from the moment I read about her. Yes, I was drawn in by the abandonment and Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep reading about her. And root for her. You want Mm -hmm. her to get a break. Yep. And you want to keep reading until she catches a break. And then when she catched one, I felt like, okay, let me stop before something else bad happens to her. (laughs) Yeah. So I would highly recommend Where the Crawdads Sing. Wow. I think we did our first podcast. 
you for listening to Lit Society's first podcast. Thank you, guys. Yay. <laughs> Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. That's me. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast providers. And give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Tell us you love us. That would help us out a lot. Take two seconds to do it. Do it now. Do, do it right do, now. Do, do, do it. it now. And you know what? Our next book is The Woman in the Window by AJ Finn. I'm really excited about this one. I've heard great things. I, on the other hand, have heard nothing at all. That's always good. That's how you roll. (laughs) So there are two ways to enjoy our show. You can either read the book and listen or just sit back and listen. But if you don't want spoilers, we highly recommend you read the book first. Right. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend about Lit Society and visit us at LitSocietyPod.com to sign up for the world's best free newsletter. It's so great, you guys. And until next time, read read something. something.